You are listening to The Music Room with Aileen Miracle. Hi everyone, this is Aileen and welcome to episode 41 of The Music Room. Today I am so excited to interview Brandy Waller-Pace about decolonizing the music room. I first found out about Brandy through her awesome Facebook group called Decolonizing the Music Room, which we'll talk about in this interview, as well as through her website. And I know that this interview gave me a lot to think about in my own music room, and I'm sure it will for you as well. I'd like to share a little bit about Brandy before we begin. Brandy Waller-Pace creator of Decolonizing the Music Room, teaches elementary music in Fort Worth, Texas. Brandy holds a BM and MM in jazz studies from Howard University and has completed full Orfschule work certification, Kodai Level 1, and Music Learning Theory Levels 1 and 2. Brandy has written elementary curriculum for her district and is a member of her district's Racial Equity Committee. In 2019, she completed the Campus Voices Fellowship with Leadership ISD, which focuses on achieving educational equity. Brandy performs and presents on jazz and American roots music. She conducts sessions on anti-racist frameworks in music education and developing actionable steps for systemic and organizational change. She seeks to decenter the dominant white American narrative in music education to make teacher training pre-service coursework, resources, and classroom practices more reflective of the many voices and traditions that exist in our schools. I'm thrilled to have Brandy on the podcast. Here's the show. Hi, Brandy. Hello. All right. So I would love for you to tell us all about yourself and your music educator journey. Yeah, yeah. I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia, and I remember elementary music being my favorite class. I know the names of all my music teachers, (laughs) and I did music all through school. I thought I wanted to dance for a while, but when I got to school, I switched back to music really quickly. I went to Howard University in Washington, D.C., and I got my undergrad and my master's degrees in jazz studies and got to do a ton of improvisation and arranging. I concentrated on voice, but I did jazz piano, a little bit of guitar, some classical piano, lots of really great history and things that were required for us to learn that aren't typically required in other colleges. And did a little bit of private lesson teaching during my time there. I also was a graduate assistant, so I got to do local improvisation classes, choral classes, and get a little bit of experience that way, and do a little performing outside of school and with ensembles at school. So after school ended, I moved down to Fort Worth, Texas, where I am now. My husband's family's from there. Did did a little bit of other stuff and decided to try grade school teaching. Knew I loved music, knew that I had dealt with kids privately, and felt like I could handle it and started teaching and quickly realized I could not handle it. (laughs) (laughs) So after floundering for a little bit of time, I got my Kodai level one and I credit that with giving me enough structure just to feel like I could handle class. I moved to the district where I currently teach. This is my ninth or 10th year in my current district in, in Fort Worth, independent school district, and have been able to get a ton of training. We have a very robust arts program. We're, we're pretty well funded compared to colleagues I hear around the country. And so I've been able to take advantage of some really great opportunities and also outside of school and performing more. I've been able to merge the two. So musician wise, I 
have stayed performing jazz. I've done my own composition and arranging, and I've gotten into what people call old-time music, which is, it sounds like the parent music to bluegrass, and there's a lot of early American, specifically African-American music I've been performing, so play a few instruments, I perform, I go around gigging, and I'm able to take that into my music at work, and that's where I am now. That's awesome. (laughs) Any albums, any CDs that you've recorded? So I wish I had CDs. I have Facebook pages, so I have an individual Facebook page as Brandy Pace, Okay. and then I have a duo, Pace and Barber, and that's my old time. We we play guitar, we play banjo, we sing. We have a Facebook page. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, and we have performances there. (laughs) That's great. I could link to that if you'd like. I could link to that in the show notes. Oh, yeah, sure. (laughs) Great. And for those people listening, the show notes, if you go to my blog at mrsmiraclesmusicroom.com and then click on podcast and find this podcast, then I'll make sure to put that there. So thank you so much for telling us all about yourself. So you have done a lot of work with decolonizing the music room, and I would love for you to talk about how you would define that process and feel free to also tell us about the work that you have done with your website and Facebook group. Yeah, so I started decolonizing the music room after getting a lot more music ed training, connecting that to my experiences as a Black woman who used to be a Black child in the music room myself, and doing a lot of racial equity work within my district and just mushing that all together. And the easiest access point that I reached and that I know a lot of other educators reach is just looking at song choice. Where do these songs come from? Have they been responsibly sourced? Is there anything that we need to consider in their use? And that was kind of like the first light bulb in terms of just getting the information, the content together. Very quickly, I was able to transfer practices that I implemented in my classroom and things that I had seen other teachers do to the philosophy of the site. And one thing about the idea of decolonizing is that there's not really a place you get to. There's a process that you're always looking at. And for me, it's taken me completely back to, we can say decolonizing and we can say what we're taking away, but we need to know what we're taking it away from. We need to know what it meant to colonize. I recently had an online dialogue with an academic who referenced colonization in terms of literal colonies, land, land being stolen, space being stolen. But it's really important to look back and say that colonization happened in land and spaces, but it happened in minds and hearts and bodies, and it turned people into things, and it turned their traditions and their ideas into something else. And it was such a devastating and wide-ranging thing. And so when we take a look at what it means to decolonize, we have to look at what we're undoing in the first place. Even something as simple as what we feel like a good music class looks like, what we feel like are the required songs, what we feel like is the structure, what are the behavioral expectations, that stuff that we take as normal. And it's been ingrained in us, not just as educators, but just um, if you've grown up in the U.S., It was just normal. That's how you acted as a child. And so when you grow up, that's how you expect children to act and classes to be conducted. And so really looking at how those things got to that point and looking at what we need to undo and why we need to undo it and the things that are the hardest to undo, why are they so hard? What's behind that, I feel like, is the backbone of what we're doing. That's wonderful. Thank you. (laughs) So now that we've kind of talked broadly, what are some specific ways that you've taken to decolonize or that you could see other elementary music educators 
taking steps towards? Yeah, so the easiest access point to start is repertoire. Where do your songs come from? How are you presenting them to the children? A lot of the conversations that are going on now are centered around racist songs, sexist songs, things that are ableist. Those are very, very important, but we even need to look at the things that are fine. How are we presenting them? The example I always think of is telling your kids this song is African. How do you know it's African? What part of Africa does it come from? What language is it in? You know, what's the purpose? And why, when we talk about the Italian song, can we speak to the color of the wall of the composer's first home? <laughs> but if, if we're teaching a song from Africa, it just says Africa. Mm-hmm. So we need to really know what's behind what it is that we're teaching. We can't go to every single song, every single source, and meticulously plow through everything. So we have to really look at how are we evaluating sources. If I see a curriculum full of songs that are very fun to sing and not one page mentions where any of the songs are from, then maybe that's something I don't want to use. Maybe I would go with something that I can tell has been researched in a certain way, knowing that I have to go look back. Looking at the way we structure the classroom, what our expectations are for things. Sometimes stuff like that for me can even be intentional because I know when they go to secondary, Secondary means band, orchestra, choir, and it means something that is formal in a way that I wouldn't choose for my students, but I know they're going to get it. So I'm going to use my time to teach them the other side of that. Looking at things like knowing notation is important, knowing how to sight read is important. Um, What is it important for? And letting that decide how much you guide what you do in your lessons. I like to have an emphasis on general musicianship, which could be a whole other discussion, who decided what good musicianship is. (laughs) But um, trying to have my kids do things that have such a level of flexibility that you can layer kind of whatever on top of it. Things that hopefully don't teach my children that there is this particular right way to be as a musician and a right way to consume music and a right way to practice music and a right way to perform. So... I hope that answers the question. (laughs) I think so often as these conversations, and I'm so glad that these conversations are starting to happen more and more, but I think so often people just immediately go to song literature, song choice, Mm -hmm. which is a part of it. But hearing everything you have to say, it's really so much broader than that. So And and even um, one thing I end up talking about a lot that I didn't say was discourse. An example I always use is last year I decided to not say classical music. I decided to say Western European classical music. And I told my students, because there's classical music from many different places, and so something that seems really small, but, you know, maybe I didn't even need to say that. Maybe a kid can might even pick up on that. Oh, does somewhere else have classical music? And it, it leads to something else. Discourse, framing that doesn't apply specifically to music also helps in the room. I don't say slaves. I say enslaved people. Mm-hmm. And so it shifts from that being their identity to something that was done to them. Right. And being really, really thoughtful about my discourse in a way that doesn't add so many words the kids can't understand but just really gives them an idea of not thinking of it the way we we've been taught to think of it and does you know give space to speak about identities even the way I frame we we learned a song from Norway 
And I showed them Norwegian kids, and there were some kids who were blonde and blue-eyed, and one picture was all white children, and the kids said, they look American. And I was like, why? What is it that makes you think they look American? That's a really good question. Uh-huh. And the kid felt a little embarrassed. Uh-huh. But someone finally did say, like, they're white. And I said, well, look at all of us. Are we all white? And they had to say, no, are we all American? We definitely are. I said, you know, most people in the world actually aren't white. And they're not blonde. And the kids were like, whoa. <laughs> and it wasn't in a way that made the white blonde kids in my class feel bad. It was just right. like we frame it differently. Yes. Those are great conversations. <laughs> yeah. So as you have done this work, what are some changes that you've noticed? Like you just shared that story, which is great. But what are yeah. some other changes that you've noticed with your students? My kids really do pick up on that discourse. We were talking about... I can't remember what song we were talking about, but I think it was probably in Spanish. And a kid goes, I know why they spoke Spanish in that country. And I was like, why? And he basically said something like people came and colonized and brought the language with them. And I was like, he picked up on what we talk about all the time. You know, just those simple connections. Kids feeling like they can bring that kind of stuff up. Kids feeling safer to talk about all of these things. And even to say stuff like, this isn't even a kid thing. A lot of people feel really nervous speaking about race, like naming race feels like something's wrong with it. But my kids can talk to me about those feelings and they can say, you know, white, but I don't want to be racist, black, but I don't want to be racist. And they can let me know they feel that way so we can talk about it. Mm-hmm. And so that makes a big difference. I've noticed kids identifying with what we're doing in a different way. And again, I'm learning every year and I'm trying to balance out how I relate to my kids. But I I had a child whose family speaks Arabic and we did something in Arabic and, you know, wasn't the biggest thing in the world. We just did. And she said, you know, I speak Arabic and we're doing a song in Arabic. And I was like, why is that weird? And she was like, because in school we speak English. And I said, that's really interesting that, I mean, we know our kids get taught that their language is not for the school space. That's not what that's for. And so doing things like that doesn't mean that I'm completely changing their worlds, but just like that little bit of seeing that something that's theirs belongs in the space as well, I think makes a really, really huge difference. So I think it helps honor them. Yeah. Individuals. Yeah. Yeah. And it helps counter the idea that like you have to assimilate in order to be successful. Right. I don't fault any like racially, ethnically minoritized people. I don't fault them for doing what they need to do to survive in a white supremacist society, to be honest. When we know better, we do better, but sometimes it's survival. But if I can show kids that assimilating is not the way to do well in my room, it helps a lot. So as you've done this work, what are some common arguments that you've heard about, let's say, like adapting your song repertoire? And how have you responded to those arguments? Yeah, the biggest one is, well, there's two big ones. One is we don't have any songs left if we take the songs out. And the other one is this is our history and we can't ignore our history. I think those are the two biggest ones. So the response to us having no songs left, I guess I kind of counter it with, do you think that everything about American music is so racist that all we can do is sing racist songs. And what does that say about your level of study that you haven't been able to find anything but racism in what we're doing? And it also 
means that maybe you need to consider what you've been looking at as a source of good music if you feel that all we have is racist stuff. So <laughs> I feel like it necessitates a little bit of self-reflection in terms of our own study to think that there's nothing else. And I think it speaks to a little bit of fragility that kind of keeps us from looking. A teacher who would say that I could probably hand them a large book from their classroom and they could flip through in five songs that weren't offensive really easily. Mm-hmm. So that's not really the main point. It's something else I feel that's being threatened. To the history piece, we'll lose our history. I feel that some songs are for performance in grade school and some songs can be used for study if you choose to study with real history behind them. So saying our history will be lost implies the only way it can be kept is for kids to play little racist games or whatever it is, you know, like I'm using hyperbole, but. Right, right. I seriously doubt that the only way that our society's history is maintained is through children's play. There is a ton of wonderful history there, but that implies that their social studies courses aren't doing anything and aren't supposed to do anything, and that the coursework that they have to take on in the future is not going to be very thorough. So I think it just makes us take a look at so many systemic things when we have those particular concerns. And we have to look at what's behind that and what we're really asking when we ask about those things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Something, another argument that I have heard people say is, well, that song is so good for teaching Tikka Tikka, or that song is so good for teaching Ray. Yeah. Yeah. And I know that sometimes people are coming from a place of they've used this song so well and they really love this pattern in the song. Mm-hmm. But I think a really proactive way to spin it, and I think I've had to do this before, is to say you are incredibly well trained and you are a very competent teacher. And I'm really sure that you can be creative enough right. to find something else that works because you went to school for your job and you're good at it and you've been doing it for years. And so that creativity we're passing on to our students, we can use ourselves in reworking what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. So if let's say a music educator is unsure of the origin of a song, or maybe they've kind of heard like whisperings about Mm -hmm. a song and they're just not sure about it, or they're looking at the lyrics of the song and they're kind of like second guessing, like, wait a minute, what exactly is the history of the song? What are some steps that they can take? So the first step is show the song for a while. (laughs) Don't use it while you're wondering about it. Put the song aside, reach out to other educators in your network, and then take a look at some general research sources. It can take a lot. For me, something that's really simple is maybe I'll look at Library of Congress and finding groups like Shameless Plug, Decolonizing the Music Room. That's a great group. I will make sure that I link to that. If you're not in the Facebook group, Decolonizing the Music Room, you should be. So I will link to that. Yeah. And Brandy. (laughs) Since we've started it, people have been doing this work forever. It's just that now we're online finding spaces to connect. So finding someone that you can connect to. Something I've done if it's foreign is reach out to the embassy of the country the song is from. Uh Reach out to a university. There was a Maori song that I've heard a lot about. And so I, I just reached out to one of the main universities in New Zealand said, hey, music teachers use this song a lot in the States, but I think the words might have some in you and what do you think? And I got an answer. Sometimes it takes a little longer than you think, but 
if we know we don't have to do it for every single thing we do and that we can connect with other educators who also do it, mm -hmm. it helps. Yeah. And looking at where the song came from, I've contacted the person who wrote the curriculum and said, hey, where'd you get the mm -hmm. song from? If it is a song that connects to a community that you have access to taking a look. Let's say I wanted to know about a Japanese song. I don't know. And I have a group in my city, like a Japanese society. So knowing to look for those places. And again, it can be a lot of work, but knowing that you don't have to be the only one doing the work and that you can connect with people who can share with you mm -hmm. are good. And just go as far back to the source as you possibly can and start taking a look at what it means to research and look at what you're looking at. So know that if someone said Wikipedia said it, it's okay to look at Wikipedia, but look at where the Wikipedia source got it from and then go to that source right. and then look at if that is a real thing. Right. So just knowing to dig a little deeper is good. And then when you feel confident, you can put the song back in if you, if you find out that there's no worry. And in the meantime, just know if it's about Ticka Ticker, it's about Ray, then know that you have more songs in your arsenal than that. And if it really seems to be a big trouble, ask yourself, why do I need to use a song in the first place? What is it about this song? Mm -hmm. Because any pedagogical concept, there's no song that only has it. That doesn't exist. I mean, you can write a song if you're having that much trouble finding it, but there's a song for everything. So look at why, if it's really giving you that much pause. And if you feel like you're not able to get a conclusive answer in the meantime, just wait, just wait on it. Mm -hmm. And I should mention that in, I'm pretty sure, is there a file in the Facebook group that has like a growing list of songs that are problematic? So the group itself, I don't think has a file, but there's been a lot of crowdsourcing. Mm -hmm. And if you look in the group, we've started adding hashtags to be able to make posts easier to find. And there have been at least a couple of crowdsourced lists. Mm -hmm. And I believe that those lists that have popped up in our group are the same that you'll find if you're looking in the the ORF Associated Group Online, the Kodai Associated Group Online, these conversations have crossed all of the groups. So there are just a couple I've seen that I think are going around everywhere. Yeah. Okay, great. So often when people think of this, like we talked about before, they're thinking about song literature, but I'm sure this also applies to listening lessons. And you did briefly talk about, instead of saying classical music, saying Western European classical music. <laughs> Mm -hmm. But what are some other changes that you've made for listening lessons or other activities in your music room that don't necessarily have to do with song literature? Yeah, looking at who we're listening to and what identities may or may not be included. So, for example, we just finished Hispanic Heritage Month, and I make sure my kids know that Hispanic contributions are popular and important all throughout the year but there is a reason that we have this special focus at this time of year. Mm -hmm. And knowing that if I am talking about Hispanic heritage, that I'm also talking about people of African descent in those places and making sure my kids see them represented in the listening, making sure kids know that indigenous cultures were already there and that it's not just, everything isn't Spanish. Everything isn't that stereotype of how we expect people from those countries to look and making sure that when I'm looking at different listening lessons that there are things that maybe aren't as expected to the kids, but it gives them a wider range. Black History Month, again, 
we watch the Carolina Chocolate Drops, who include Rhiannon Giddens, who a lot of the listeners will know by name. And the kids see me play banjo for them in the classroom, but just them understanding that, no, this is African-American culture as well. This is Black culture. And just showing them like a wider range in that. If you look at my listening throughout last year, because last year was a year I tried to put a lot of intention on who I showed in the room and who we listened to in the room. The range was really, really wide. And if a child only had me last year, they would have no idea that Bach and Beethoven were supposed to be the most important anything. Mm-hmm. Genre-wise, style-wise, when it goes to movement lessons, our movement lessons are not. And now European classical music movement lesson because it's just so beautiful. No, no, no. There's all kinds of extremely beautiful music. It's not about how beautiful we consider it. It's just fun. My kids listen to the Nutcracker every year, but we listen to Duke Ellington's Nutcracker as well. Love that one. (laughs) (laughs) You know, just making sure to show them something really, really varied in listening lessons and always making sure to give them some good background to hold on to. So Richie Valens, we listened to. We listened Mm -hmm. to La Bamba and I said, hey, you know, La Bamba, he didn't write that. That's actually from... Veracruz in Mexico, where there's a large population of African descent because enslaved people came there. We talk about San Jorocho and we listen to that. And so, you know, you can just like go down the rabbit hole with all this stuff. And I try to do that with the listening that I incorporate in my classroom. That's awesome. So besides your awesome Facebook group, you also have a website that I'd love for you to talk about and any other resources that you would recommend for people who are wanting to start this work. Yeah, so the Decolonizing the Music Room website is a combination of experiences, stories, and research from my team of contributors and I. There are resources in podcast form and written academic article form, books that would be good to have for your classroom, websites that give historical background, and all that serves as kind of a place to go get not only the more academic knowledge, but to get some more viewpoints. Because one thing we talked about a lot is there are these knowledge holders and they seem to be in the ivory tower and they hold the knowledge. And there are these people who are living their lives over here and the knowledge holders come and tell the people who are living their lives what they should do. And it's right, because we know, we study, we're in our ivory tower. But there's a need to actually listen to the lived experiences of what everyone is doing because that's the whole point. Why are we doing this at all if we're not including that? So the site attempts to have a mixture of both of those things and to give that balanced viewpoint and then to talk a little bit about practices. We have a page that talks about practices as well and it's a little bit newer but just to give an idea of mindset shifts so that, you know, it's the whole teacher man fish thing. Just knowing if you shift your mindset, the way you approach every single thing you do will change and it'll be a large ripple effect. Another page is a vlog from Michelle McCauley, one of our contributors. She is a music educator out in Nevada and she is also a dancer. She is Native American and is very, very deeply involved in the music making and the dance of her culture and is incredibly knowledgeable and her stuff is all video because there's no hierarchy to how knowledge is shared and so it doesn't all have to be written and it doesn't all have to be written a certain way and so um, that's an additional piece that 
I'm really proud to have on the site. So all that together makes a mixture. And because we're not the experts just giving everything to you, we're the people that are working together and finding all these other people. We welcome submissions to the site as well. So there's a page to contact us and there's a page that gives the submission format and it opens it up to being writing or to being other forms of media for those who would like to share with us, but all with the main point of representing the voices and the faces and the views that are pretty intentionally not represented in general. It's really wonderful work. So we really appreciate everything that you've done, Brandy. All right, is there anything else that you want to share? I think that's it. I think I've said it already, but there's just not enough emphasis I can put on that none of us have a point of arrival we're going to get to. It's always ongoing. We always need to be working together and listening. And it's very important in our field that's dominated by white educators that when you're in the majority, there's some experiences and some things that you just, you simply won't see. And so those of us outside of that group, we need to be listened to, we need to be believed. And the study needs to be balanced with an understanding that that's going to have to happen and that the shift is going to be pretty substantial whether it happens quickly for you or slowly for you, the point is going to be really substantial and to not be worried about, there's no loss. We're not losing anything. We're actually gaining a lot. And we're at the end of the day, helping all these kids and helping all these educators to be welcome in these spaces and be represented in these spaces and to prepare our students for a real full musical life. I absolutely loved being a choir kid, and I loved Turandot was my first opera that I went to because of my teacher, and I just loved it to death. But as an adult music maker, I don't touch any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And I, I just try to imagine, had I been a child, and had I seen someone showing me music making in the way that I make it as an adult now, mm-hmm. and knowing that was a thing without having to find it much later. Yeah. I don't begrudge my music teachers. I absolutely love them, but I can see that, you know, maybe that's something more that I can give to the students that I have so that it's rounded out because my teachers were absolutely excellent. But, you know, what we consider the norm and the thing that is at the center of what we're doing is what I got. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think it's important to keep that in mind. Yeah. Great points. I think a lot of us can relate to that experience of going through education, getting this is what you should listen to, this is what you should aspire to, getting out into the quote-unquote real world and finding that there's a lot more than just that. Yeah, and I think it sometimes furthers a divide. I'm around a lot of educators who are teachers and they don't really feel like music makers in the sense that they could. And I think it's because they don't consider themselves whatever professional is, even though there's so many more music making opportunities than that. And we do it and we do it in our ORF trainings and we do it in our professional development, but we can go out in the real world and do that as well. Mm-hmm. And I think if we all thought of it more in that way, it wouldn't just be, you know, here's my teacher hat. We do these things in my teacher hat. Right. Everything else is totally separate and I see someone else perform, but you know, I'm not really a professional. I don't really do that. There's so much music making to be had and so much joy to be had. Yeah. I just think about my own experience. I tell people that I was a trumpet player. I don't Mm -hmm. tell them that I am a trumpet player because I don't really do that anymore. But it took me years to kind of realize, well, there are other instruments out there and there are other ways of making music. 
and yeah. I'm still a musician. I'm not just an educator, so. And of course, you know, like if sticking to education is your thing, that's beautiful. And there are some people, oh, they're just amazing. And that is their focus. And everyone doesn't have to be a performer all the time. But yeah, there shouldn't be anything that stops you. (laughs) I mean, your soul. So I've been in my community jazz band. I spent the last couple of years playing and singing with them. Just a lot of people who are like, I want to play my instrument. We're not professionals in that group, but we're making music together. Yeah. And, you know, pick, pick that trumpet back up. And yeah, <laughs> <I should. laughs> I'm looking at my ukulele right now, too. I should pick that up, too. Yeah. <laughs> okay. okay, well, would you like to talk about what you're consuming? Okay, so I recently rediscovered an album that I think everyone should listen to by Layla McCalla. Have you heard of her? Is her name Layla? Is that what you said? Layla McCalla. Yeah, I have not heard mm-hmm. of her. She is a singer and she is a multi-instrumentalist. She plays banjo, she plays guitar, she plays cello. She is of Haitian descent Mm -hmm. and she composes and she writes and sings in several languages, but does a lot of Creole music as well. And she has an album called Very Colored Songs that I absolutely love. It's a tribute to Langston Hughes. And so it has songs Mm -hmm. of his poetry and songs that she's written and it's pretty amazing. That's awesome. So, yeah, I recommend that to anybody. I find that again, and I've been playing it over and over again. I recently, have you seen the show um, Rhythm and Flow, the Netflix show? No. So it's basically like an American Idol, but rap style. Oh, cool. So, yeah, Cardi B and T.I. and Chance the Rapper get these rappers from around the country and they compete. This is not child friendly at all. It's just okay. (laughs) We often talk, I think maybe it was the last episode or maybe two episodes ago. I talked about, I don't know if you've ever watched Breaking Bad. I know of it. I haven't watched it. So there was a follow-up called El Camino. That was like a movie that was like a So I talked about that two episodes ago. Not child friendly. Okay, good. Okay. We talk about whatever. (laughs) Yeah. So the challenges they have really are like hip hop culture mixed with actual business stuff that they need to know. And man, they are so good. So I'm not going to say who won. I'm going to say there's a rapper named D Smoke who is there. Oh my gosh. And I just, I I watched the show. I found his album and I think it's going to be on repeat anytime I'm in the car without my children. (laughs) <laughs> it's just amazing yeah oh and I've been listening to a lot of this group called Okdal O-K-D-A-L they're a Korean group the best way to describe them I, I call it like Korean cafe it's just like super smooth and relaxed mm-hmm. super cute music everything's a little gentle everything's happy so I love that and I've been listening to a lot of Jameer Kwai lately oh my gosh that's like a throwback to my college days that's gonna be yeah I listen to Jameer Kwai all the time <laughs> So they had the, you know, the virtual insanity. Everyone knows the, yeah, yeah. that was the big hit, but they have a ton of albums and they're all amazing. Okay. So uh, yeah, I've been listening to that as well. Definitely worth checking out. It's all timeless stuff. Reading. I picked up this book called, um, I think it's Discourse on Colonialism. And I'm doing this as if anyone can see me. This is my next read, The Wretched <laughs> of the <laughs> So I found these two um, francophone writers of African descent who are writing on colonialism. And that's part of the study that I told you about. 
Mm-hmm. And it's really meaty. It's not terribly long. Not terribly long to read. It's super duper meaty. So I'm into that reading wise right now. And I'm a huge anime fan. So I watch anime most nights. <laughs> My 15 year old went through an anime phase where she just like was super into it. She, yeah. But, but yeah, she definitely, <laughs> she definitely watched a little bit too. <laughs> so they, they have like different genres. And the genre I like is called Slice of Life. And basically it's. Uh-huh just like episodic stuff. Uh Everybody's like silly and goofy or sometimes it's heartfelt, but it's just like each one is a scene in the life of whatever the main characters are. Uh They're usually super short. They're usually pretty relaxing and fluffy and I binge constantly. I think it's like how I cope with life as well. (laughs) Sometimes you gotta watch something that's a little bit mindless just so that you you And it's just beauty. Like the scores are always excellent. The music's always well written. The art's beautiful and kind of has everything. It's better than what I do when I binge watch mindless stuff is I watch The Bachelor. So your sounds sounds better. (laughs) All right. Well, I'll share. Is that it for you? Yeah, that's kind of what I'm into now. Yeah. Okay. I'm just going to share a couple things. My husband and I have been listening to, I'm not sure if I'm saying her name right, Mia Folick. Have you ever heard of Mia Folick? Oh, I haven't. She's a great artist, singer. It's kind of like some of it is kind of poppy and some of it is like a little bit R&B and some of it is more alternative. I don't know. It's just kind of a mix. It's not just like one genre, but yeah. she's a lover voice. I love it. Yeah. yeah. Love her stuff. And then one of my former students, so as we're recording this, by the time this hits the airwaves, it'll have already been on. But one of my former students is now in LA and she's acted on a few things. Like she was in an episode of Tosh.0 a few years ago, just like a little bit. She was also, oh gosh, I don't know what it's called, but there was like a horror movie about a nun and she was in that. But now she's going to be in an episode of Mixed Dish. Like so I'm super excited to check that out. And I've been meaning to check that show out and I haven't yet. So Yeah, because Blackish is awesome and Grownish yeah. is good. Yeah. <laughs> I love, we always DVR Blackish, but I had not checked out Mixed Dish. So and I get to see my former student, which is super exciting. So Oh, I know you're so proud. That's yeah. really cool. Yeah, she was very musical too. So yeah. yeah. Cool to see her go out there and succeed like that so yeah well Brandy thank you so much for these wonderful insights this was such an awesome interview and it gave me a lot to think about I'm sure it also gave everyone listening a lot to think about where can we find you you can go to www.decolonizingmusicroom.com we're on Facebook we are on Instagram Instagram at decolonizing music room and Twitter is decolonize music because it had to be shorter Uh (laughs) you can reach out to me and the team on any of those and yeah we look forward to hearing from everybody and talking to everyone I'm so glad that you had me on this was very fun (laughs) I had a lot of fun too and like I said so much great stuff to think about so I really appreciate you taking time out of your busy weekend thank you all right thanks Brandy